Many young people go to colleges and universities and leave their faith, or they have a major crisis in their faith. This is Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, Christian apologist, and scholar, Pat Zuckerin. Today's program is part of a series on staying Christian in college. And whether you're going to college yourself, or maybe you have a child or a grandchild who's leaving the nest and going to the university, today's program is going to be very informative. Here's Pat Zuckerman. Yes, thanks, Kevin. We have with us returning from last week, Greg Grooms. Greg works at the University of Texas at Austin, one of the largest universities here in the United States. He is the director of Hill House. He has also worked 16 years and trained under Francis Schaeffer at the Labrie Fellowship in Switzerland and here in the United States. And we're talking about staying Christian in college. So, Greg, welcome back to the show. Pleasure, Pat. Thanks for having me. Well, Greg, just summarize for us briefly what we shared last week, just basically the intellectual and the moral challenges that the student will face on the public university campus. Well, last week, Pat, we tried to talk about how things have changed in the 30 years or so since uh, I was an undergraduate uh, 30 years ago. The kind of difficulties and challenges that a Christian student were faced were somewhat, were somewhat predictable intellectually. They all came from the sciences and from history, and the challenges were that Christianity was not rational or historically verifiable or internally consistent. That's still around, but it's been complicated in some departments by a radically different kind of approach. Uh, Postmodern thinking takes as its cornerstone that if the truth exists, nobody can know it. So any kind of exclusive truth claim like Christianity is going to come under criticism. And you can't respond to it in the same way that you would respond to criticism in a science class, which is to try to say, oh, no, no, I really do have evidences for this, because from a postmodern framework, uh, evidences are suspect. They're socially conditioned in the end. So students stepping into this kind of environment today are likely to find that what they say in one class that works gets them in trouble in another class, and if they don't figure out how the intellectual climate changes from class to class fairly quickly, they're going to get themselves into trouble. Morally speaking, we talked about last week uh, how the basic moral challenges really haven't changed that much. Students still face kind of the drug, sex, and rock and roll kind of problems here, but that in a lot of ways these things have become much more mainstream, they're more acceptable even amongst Christian students, and they have become much, much, much more accessible. We talked in particular about the problem of, of Internet pornography for guys on campus. How can a Christian, let's focus on preparing for college now, how can a Christian prepare themselves before they arrive on the university campus? Well, uh, I'll talk a little bit about how my wife and I have done it. Uh, we have five kids. Every one of them is a university student this year. Our kids grew up in Christian schools to begin with, uh, we wanted to make sure that they got a good grounding, not only in their faith at home, but in the way that they approached education itself. At the same time, every one of them made the change from the Christian school environment to a public school environment in high school. And the reason that we did this was we wanted them to face those kinds of challenges while they were still living at home, <laughs> so we could be in a position to actually help them with it. I made a deal with my kids. Early on, I said, you can watch any movie, you can listen to any music, you can read any book, you can watch anything on TV, as long as you're willing to watch it and discuss it with me, <laughs> which served 
two purposes in some ways. In one way, it, it kind of helped edit the material that they watched. I mean, can you imagine sitting down and watching a Playboy video with your dad? My kids couldn't imagine doing that either, so we didn't do any of that. At the same time, even more importantly, though, it got them involved in thinking about what they were watching and asking critical questions of what they were seeing and being willing to discuss those differences with somebody else who saw it differently than they did. My goal in raising my children at that point wasn't so much just to tell them this is what's true. My goal was to develop in them some skills of discernment that they could use when they weren't in my house anymore. That's excellent. And one of the things that we're finding lacking in a lot of the preparation of the students on the university campus is the inability to discern truth from error, and they end up buying into a lot of false ideas, don't they? Unfortunately, the vast majority of students, Christian or otherwise, uh, go with their gut when it comes to what they believe. The ability to think critically about the ideas that they're being bombarded with and then to make decisions on their own with some integrity about what is truth and where they're going to stand and where they don't stand is always been fairly rare. I think it's more rare now than it used to be. And what can the youth pastor do to help his students as they prepare to go on the university campus? Ooh, 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 ooh. Well, the youth pastor is going to have to do some things that are going to be fairly dangerous in doing that. Uh, the tendency of most of the uh, youth programs that I grew up in when I was a kid was to entertain us a lot and then preach to us about what was right. And as far as it went, that was kind of okay. The problem was that it didn't go nearly far enough. I remember showing up at Tulane back in the early 1970s and discovering for the first time in my life that there were really different ways of looking at the world and that the people who held those views were just as interesting, if not more so, than all the Christians that I had grown up with. Now, this was frightening to me in a profound way. I think the chief reason that I had become a Christian when I did growing up as a kid was because all the cool people that I knew were Christians. I wanted to be like them, and that was fine as far as it went. But when I ran into people who were cool and interesting and thoughtful and not Christian, that rocked my world in all sorts of ways. So if I'm a youth pastor now, what I want to do in this instance is expose my kids as much as possible ahead of time to the kind of ideas and worldviews that they're going to hit when they get to college before they get there. And in particular, I want to be really careful in doing so not to give a caricature of, of those kinds of, of ideas. All too often when we present the ideas that we're being critical of, we uh, play straw man with them. We, we change them a little bit in order to make them easy to dismiss. <laughs> but then when the kids actually hear those ideas from someone who embraces them, they sound different. They don't sound like the ideas that we were criticizing before. Uh, and then they feel, on one hand, you know, I've been misled, and I really haven't been adequately prepared. I have to, if I'm a youth pastor, be willing to take some risks in doing this. And I realize that uh, lots of youth pastors 
simply don't have the freedom to take those risks. Greg, you've been working on university campus for nearly two decades. Uh, what are some concerns you have that you see in the freshmen coming in nowadays to the public university? The biggest problem I see with the, the freshmen that are coming in is that they're utterly unprepared to be here. I think that, that parents act often with uh, the best of motives. They want to protect their children and they want to provide for them. And if they do either of those things a little bit too much, if they're a little too overprotective, if they're too little too free with giving their kids uh, uh, lots of cash, that the kid shows up then on campus here at the University of Texas with a vast amount of freedom, a lot of money to indulge that freedom in, and intellectually, spiritually, and personally unprepared to deal with it. Teaching responsibility along with critical thinking could go a long way in preparing a kid to, to be a freshman at the university. I mean, half of the kids that will show up in the freshman class here next month will not survive two years. And in some ways, that's because the university is really not equipped to deal with them for more than two years. They can't have a freshman class of 12,000 people that stays for four years. Uh, and part of it is because a bunch of those kids really never were never really prepared to be here to begin with. Wow, that's pretty shocking statistic there. Well, Greg, once they arrive on campus, I mean, the first couple of weeks for that Christian is very important. What should a Christian do once they arrive on the university campus? Uh, first thing that they need to do is find a church to be a part of. <laughs> and I mean a church and not a campus organization. One of the more disturbing statistics that I've seen in recent years is the number of students that leave a church at home, they come to a university campus, they become involved in a campus Christian organization, they're not involved in a church, and then when they leave the university, they never get involved in a church again. One of the things that we're very careful to do here at Hill House is not to offer any activities on Sunday at all. We close the door and we lock and we put a sign up and we tell everybody to go to church. Being a part of the church is important. At the same time, we encourage them to uh, become a part of a Christian fellowship on campus that can actually encourage them and support them while they're on campus. Uh, nobody was meant to do this alone. And if you're dealing with other kids uh, who are involved in the same kind of process and kind of help you along through it, then, then you're going to be better off. You know, there's a pressure on the university campus to go along with the agenda, to go along with the culture, to buy into the ideas. And you also need that positive uh, pressure with Christian fellowship, you know, to remain faithful and to study the Word. And as you talked about, have that accountability to another partner. The Christian faith in any setting, not just at the university campus, isn't just about me and God. It is about the people of God and God. And I need to put myself in that context if I'm going to be able to live it out and realize it the way it's supposed to be realized. Greg, there's something I've noticed on college campuses. Even when I was in college, late 70s, early 80s, I noticed this, and I still see it to this day, and that is, uh, especially among Christian kids and Christian organizations, they tend to be very hard on one another sometimes, making uh, sure that each other toes the line, and it goes beyond accountability or encouragement. There just seems to be an immature zeal produced by being in this new environment where everything under the sun takes place. 
help me with that a little bit. Do you do you see what I'm talking about? This bunch that, that just seems to be very hard on each other. Well, I got uh, invited oh a year or two ago to speak to one of the other Christian organizations on campus. Uh, I won't say which one uh, about an issue that was divisive for them, and the, the divisive issue was whether or not one could be a part of that organization and still be a member of a fraternity or sorority. Now, those who were being hard-nosed about it were saying, all of the friends that I know who are members of fraternities and sororities get drunk and sleep around. Therefore, no one who is a Christian should be involved in a, in a, in a sorority or fraternity. The ones on the other side of the fence were saying, no, 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 no. One can be a member of a fraternity or a sorority without doing these things. And furthermore, I am called to be salt and light even in those areas. And they reached a point where the group was about to split in half on that basis. Uh, asked me to come and talk to them. And basically, I had to have some things to say to both sides of the coin, too. You turn to people who are being hard-nosed about it and say, Christ called his disciples to be in the world, but not of it. That includes being in places like fraternities and sororities. And then you turn to people on the other side of the coin and say, but, 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 if you're going to be there, you really do have to take sin seriously. And you have to examine your own life, your own weaknesses, and say, honestly, is it possible, given my own track record, for me to successfully be faithful in that setting? And if you say, no, maybe the answer for you is, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be here. That's one of the important reasons that they not only have to be involved in a campus fellowship, but also in a church where they can run into more mature believers at different life stages that can present to them a more mature perspective that they may not get if they just stay in their university fellowship. Absolutely. There are actually a couple of churches around here right now that are trying to organize themselves just with college students. They want to be a church, but they really want to be composed almost 100% of, of kids from the university. And they're finding all sorts of practical problems coming out of that as a result. Oh, what are some of the issues that uh, they're facing? Because that's common on a lot of university campuses now. Well, they find that, uh, you know, you read First Corinthians 12, and they talk about the diversity in the body of Christ and how that diversity is a strength. <laughs> Well, they, they find that not having that diversity, everybody coming from the same period of life and the same le level of spiritual matru maturity really is a problem for them. Uh, the kind of leadership that they actually need is often not there because you know, the oldest kid in the group is going to be 22 years old. Uh, the kind of commitment that they require is often difficult. Uh, I'm to be committed to the body of Christ throughout my life. Well, the churches here that are composed just of university students, you get people for at best four years, and then they move on. The kind of continuity that you want to be able to see to build from one year to the next uh, is difficult for the same reason here. If you're a minister and you're working with a congregation of people that, that has some consistency over the years, you can build on the things that have been done before. You don't have to keep laying the same foundation over and over again. I see nothing but problems with a church like that. You don't have any children to take care of and to teach and mentor, and you don't have anybody to mentor you. And the elderly in our churches are, are walking treasures that we need to tap into. Sure. So, boy, I see nothing but problems there. 
And last but not least, uh, these are college students. They don't have anything to put in the offering plate either. <laughs> and that's the truth. It's kind of hard to run a, an organization on that basis. Well, Greg, uh, talk to the student out there that, who wants to be salt and light on campus. You know, I was involved in a couple Christian fellowships when I was on the university campus, and one was, as Kevin mentioned, very zealous, and I was a young man, and very zealous but with very little maturity, and uh, I was out there trying to uh, share the gospel uh, with everyone I met and felt very bad if I didn't share the gospel at least three or four yeah. times a day. But looking back on it, you know, I realized, man, that turned off a lot of people. Yep. But then on the other hand, you got those that just are silent and just kind of go along with the agenda and get the passing grades. Uh, and uh, if they do share their faith, you know, it's, it's maybe once in a while, but not too often. Where's the balance that the Christian student can have? Well, the thing that I tell students first and foremost when they got here is that uh, uh, their first priority should be to be a good student. God has called them here to be students at the University of Texas, and it doesn't mean that they stop everything else when they get here. Uh, is there a place for Bible study and evangelism and prayer and worship? Yeah. But if they're not really attending to their studies well, then they're not being responsible before the Lord. Uh, that's actually a difficult idea for some of them. There are all sorts of kids who have been taught to measure their spiritual health just in terms of their religious exercises. How much time do I spend in prayer and worship and Bible study? I've had kids come to me and say, I have, I'm feeling guilty because I spend so much time in my schoolwork and I'm neglecting these other things. And then I try to tell them, God has put you here. And one of the reasons he's put you here is to get an education. So be a good student, first and foremost. And then the second thing that I try to tell them in, in light of that is to say, you don't need to learn how to be a good preacher while you're here, but you do need to learn how to ask good questions. One thing that I'm trying to inculcate in the students that are here is the ability to ask questions well, because I'm convinced that's going to get them a lot farther and is going to promote the gospel more effectively on campus than getting up and just kind of making declarative statements. That is huge. That is huge. I mean, if you go to college, let's say, just so you can be an evangelist and then uh, also try as a byproduct to be a good student, you're going to fail at both. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you're going to feel guilty for having failed at both and a bit confused about why it worked out that way. You know, when Jesus dealt with people in the New Testament, especially people who were close to the message, really not at all receptive, instead of simply making declarative statements that they were not willing to listen to, he would ask tons and tons and tons of questions and then tell stories and leave them to think about it. <laughs> and then hopefully the next time you see somebody in that position, you pick up where you left off and say, well, you know, where are you now? in your thinking. But uh, a little patience goes a long way in that setting. My goal in any one setting, the goal that I try to encourage students to adopt, is not in any one point to convert somebody. My goal in any one conversation is to give them something to think about, and then we see what happens the next time we get together. That's a fantastic approach. Well, Greg, Here's another question for you. You know, a student finds himself in philosophy class or literature class or history class, and he's got questions and issues that are coming up that he doesn't have any answers for that are really challenging his faith. What can he do? Where can he go to find some answers? Well, uh, 
if he's a student here at the University of Texas, he can come to uh, Hill House. One of our purposes here is to actually help students deal with those kinds of questions. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans, as I, I think I said last week, utterly unprepared to deal with those kinds of things, and then I floundered around for four years trying to make sense of them myself, generally unsuccessfully. I wish there had been something like Hill House at Tulane, as there is here at the University of Texas. There are organizations, like Pope Ministries in Dallas, that are going to be excellent resources to students who are in the position of having to deal with these kinds of questions by themselves for the first time in their lives. And they should not at all be hesitant or embarrassed about asking for help. Yes, and there's some great websites as well, uh, Leadership U and sure. uh, Stand to Reason and others that are great resources for the students. You know, the university can also be a lonely time for students. You're away from family, you're away from your church group, uh, you're away from friends from high school, or you've gone there with some high school friends, but they've changed, and now you've kind of separated your ways. How does a student deal with that kind of uh, loneliness and seeking out new kinds of fellowship? Well, you know, you've got to make some friends. Uh, And I would encourage students to go to places to make friends that will be the kinds of places that will attract the students the kind of friends that they need. Uh, If they think that going to 6th Street on Austin on Friday night is going to be the kind of place where they're going to get the spiritual help and encouragement that they need, they're going to be disappointed in that. (laughs) Uh, So I say get involved in a church, get involved in a good group on campus here. Let this be not only your spiritual support, let it be your social circle, too. Because, uh, you know, the kind of people that you're going to be closest to are the kind of people that are going to have the biggest influence on you. Explain to us what the church can do. They're going to be sending off a dozen to 30 students this year, graduating seniors through the university campuses. What can the church do as the students go to the university and while they are there? What can the local church do? Well, uh, I would hope that the church is going to start preparing their students before they get to be seniors. If you wait until the end of July right now, beginning of August, just before they, they, they go away to actually begin to prepare them, that should probably wait a little bit too long. Start helping them deal with the questions and deal with the other options of those kinds of questions before that they get to this point. So when they get to this point, they're already prepared to deal with these kinds of issues. There are organizations scattered around the country that uh, make it a purpose to actually help students get ready for this. Uh, Pro Ministries in Dallas has their Mind Games program, outstanding program. David Noble in Colorado has a program that does the same kinds of things, things that are actually geared towards specifically preparing high school students to deal with the kind of questions and issues that they're going to face when they get to college. Uh, if you feel, as a parent, inadequate to do that kind of preparation for yourself, contact one of these organizations. They can help. So the university experience doesn't have to be a, a spiritual waste wasteland for the Christian student. It can actually be a place where they really grow and become out more mature and stronger in their faith if they go in well-equipped and well-prepared, isn't it? I, uh, just a few moments ago, uh, had the chance to visit with a former student, a girl who graduated two years ago. Uh, she came to the University of Texas very much in the same way that I came to Tulane University in New Orleans back in the early 1970s. But instead of floundering, as I did, she found a good church. She found a good student group to be a part of. She found Christian professors who were willing to mentor her and to prepare her. She just finished a year Truman Fellowship in Washington, D.C., and is headed off to Yale Law School next year. And is really one of the most extraordinary 
many years. Is it possible to come here and come out a lot better than you went in? Absolutely, but you got to work at it. Fantastic. Our guest has been Greg Grooms. Greg has been working at the University of Texas at Austin at the Hill House for uh, nearly 15 years. And Greg, it's been great to have you on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Pat. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50 on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want. And we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening. evidenceandanswers.org.